Good morning and welcome to Your Daily Game Face. I am Dr. Kim Landon. I'm turning 27 today for the <laughs> time. I'm kidding. I had like eight mics in that room open from last night's show too. So <laughs> close them all down. <laughs> it's like you're in a subway station there for a second. Um, sorry. No, it's my fault. Well, yes, but yeah. I, you know, didn't want to just throw you under the bus. Oh, you didn't okay, hear it because you didn't bring your headphones. Welcome to your so. daily game. I forgot them and I don't want to wear those because it will ruin my princess tiara that I have on today because it's my birthday. Well, they won't ruin your birthday tiara. Yes, it will. It's we'll nice. Crush it. Congratulations. Listen, it's my birthday and I can cry if I want to. <laughs> yes, you can. So there. Okay. So anyway, so it's Which my... you've been telling me for a week. <laughs> no, I think it's been at least three weeks I've been telling you it was my birthday. Yeah. No, but you've been telling me you have the right to do anything. But like. Uh, oh, well, I, t I thought I've been telling you that since I met you. <laughs> well, it's true, too. Yeah. <laughs> it's my prerogative. I can, I'm going to quote all like 80 songs today. <laughs> yeah, it's my prerogative. Yeah. Um, it's my birthday. I think was Prerog that my prerogative was the 80s. Was it? Uh, yeah. New isn't, kids that, on the block? isn't that Bobby Brown? Bobby Brown? I don't know. Bell Biv DeVoe. I don't know. I stopped. Well, yeah, I'm coming up with all kinds of good ones today. Stop paying attention to music in like 1978. So. <laughs> Who made music in 1978? <laughs> a lot of great bands. Made oh, yes. Music in I said um, I stopped paying attention to music. In oh, 1978. in 1978. Yeah, I see. So anyway, so welcome to the show. We're a little off this week because of me. Um, so there was a snowstorm here on Monday that got in the way of something that I had to do on Wednesday. So I had to be pushed. So I had to miss doing my show live on Wednesday. Mm -hmm. And now here we are on Friday and I don't work on my birthday. I decided many years ago that after my birthday would always be ruined by working on it. Yeah. I decided not to work on my birthday, but this isn't work. This is fun. But you bring up an interesting question that I've always wondered about um, clinical psychology. Yes. You talk, you talk about compassion therapy with the big cats and stuff like yes. that. You must have compassion fatigue. Um, it, it's got well, to be a maintenance type of procedure, working that on a day-to-day -day basis. So that's why I, so it's a very good question. So you can have burnout and you can get compassion fatigue, obviously. But I, as you know, but maybe the listeners don't know, I build in lots of downtime, so to speak, downtime yeah. as I air quote that, um, of other activities and other things and have days like today. I don't work on my birthday. Mm. Um, I do make a few exceptions here and there for special things or special people um, to do things. But I typically do not do that because my birthday in my mind space, to your question, is um, my day. So I don't want to be in my day giving to others on that day because I do that every day. <laughs> so it's just a day to do for me. So I, but there's other days built in, like I, you know, or, or things and activities. That's why I run. That's why I am social. That's why I go on vacations so that I take care of those pieces. And I have really good friends to talk to and I have great colleagues to talk to. So we all have a good network. So I yeah. get, I don't really get burned out in terms of mental time. My burnout, if I, I don't, I don't have burnout, but when I get tired, it's because I sit for 14 or 15 hours a day. And that is a lot. Yeah. Um, so sometimes on, on a, on a normal week, it's 70 hours of sitting, which is not good. No. And that's exhausting. It's not the people we're talking. It's the sitting. I've always been interested by that path, but I'm just too empathic and I'm, I'm too spongy. I just, I would just soak it all up. It would, oh, be, yeah. it would be hard yeah. to shed. 
I don't take anything home with me. Yes. Not, no paper, no, no, nothing stays in my head. It's all, I walk out the door and it's over unless there's an emergency. Did you have that mental skill set or did you develop it as you went along? Um, I had the mental skill set. So in, in psychology, you find, you'll find two, two, two types of people, well, three ones that can't do that at all. Like they're spongy and find that they can't do this field at all. Ones that come into it already with the, the skill and then it just gets better. Mm -hmm. That's what I have. And then you have people that come in sort of like in, in between that they have a little bit, but also they're trying to work on how to set their boundary and detach. And that usually remains a constant struggle for them throughout, but they get better at it, but they still have that other side. Um, I don't have that. And I think that, be, I think a big part of why I don't have the issue um, is because of gymnastics, because you have to have a show of memory. You have to have, you have to just keep moving forward. Yep. There's no, you know, that last thing is over. We move on. It, so it's always the moving forward, Bill Belichick, you know, keep yep. moving forward. Keep moving. That's in the past. We don't have that. You know, I have an excellent memory, but I don't hold, like, I don't go home and think about stuff or bring it with me or worry about people because, you know, that's what happens in session. And it's not worry. It's just, taking good care of someone. We've talked about this on the show before and, but it's amazing to me as I went through mindfulness and the work that I did later in life and, and trying to improve things personally, if I had had my mental, my athlete's mindset yeah. in my personal life, yep. because I was really accomplished at all this stuff as an athlete, but just couldn't translate it to personal life. Right. The great athlete, athletic mental skill sets, if done correctly, are great you know, personal skill sets. Well, and I, and I think that that's one of the, and again, like you just said, we've talked about it before. I think that one of the best things that people can do for their kids is getting them immediately as soon as they can walk and talk and really move around, getting them involved in like a sport. I agree. And, yeah. and it doesn't have to be, you know, competitive Olympic. It's, you know, three and four years old, you can put little kids into a, you know, a gym, a swimming pool, like other things that are doing, you know, with other kids that they have this, they start learning structure, they start learning boundaries, they start learning how to discipline oneself and all those things. And, you know, being mindful that you start something, you can start something, but we don't quit in the middle of it unless there's something really bad going on. You know, I, you know, as a sports psychology person, that happens a lot. You know, you're trying to teach kids the mindset to take into adulthood. And oftentimes yeah. I'll see you know, sort of a tweener that's coming and they're, they've tried five different sports and the parents have allowed them to quit every single time for in the middle of it or some, and that's teaching that when it gets hard or uncomfortable or we don't like someone giving us feedback or whatever it is, then we quit. But that's missing one of the biggest lessons. And, right. and you talked about a lot of sports that all sports are great. Yes. But I think particularly team sports are important because of that, yes. that commitment to a bigger community. Exactly. And that responsibility to other people. Yes. And taking that on is an important part of it. And people who quit out of team sports aren't taking, are missing that important aspect of this. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and, and team sports are incredibly, the experience, especially if you have a good coach or good coaches yeah. are, you know, that can do those life lessons, you know, because sometimes you don't have that, but team sports are great, uh, teacher coach yep. you know guide because they they set you up so there's a mindfulness that being present as an athlete you have to be present you have to accept responsibility to your teammates yep. in the team sport and yourself but the also the progress the idea that you start a camp you start at the beginning of the season you can't do something and you put the work in and at the end of it you can do it right it's so so valuable oh yeah because well yeah i mean 
I, we could do like yeah. five shows on just all that, that piece, but yes, it's so valuable because it teaches success, managing success, managing failure, self-determination of your self-determination. Yeah. It's um, motivation, demotivation, burnout. Like, mm -hmm. I mean, it teaches how to deal with all of those things. Um, what, what you get from extra effort, what you get when you put in minimal effort, what happens when you have competitiveness and someone's better than you. I mean, there's so many great things about team sports that you can, you know, indoctrinate in a good way kids into. So they get this whole thing going for their adulthood. Unfortunately, that's not what happens. That competitiveness that, that now you brought that up an important lesson too, because you get to a certain point in your life where you rise in your levels and then you're done. Right. You reach, you reach your level and accepting that fact is a really important life lesson too. Well, and I think when it comes to, I don't know if accepting that fact is the well, term I was gonna that say, I want, when it comes to reaching it, a level, yeah. I think that there's, if, if you get complacent and think that you've reached the top level. So like in gymnastics, I went to the top of where I could go. Right. But then I translated it over to what would be the next thing that I could make so that I could still keep journeying forward in a upward motion. So, because so many times in my business, I have athletes or, or just, you know, general public that they get into that stagnant space of, well, now what? Like I, I this is who I was, or I was a high school student. I was a high school football player. Yeah. I was a college athlete. Now what? Well, it's because there's no forward trajectory of like an upward hill mo movement to go forward and up. Um, and lots of people miss out on that for a variety of reasons that are psychological, environmental, um, socio socioeconomic depends, you know, demographic area, that kind of thing. But I think also just your general exposure rate to experience that, you know, if you don't have kind of goes back to the obesity and kids issue, <laughs> if you do not have a, a role model or role models around you, or at least one or two, mm -hmm. preferably all you need is one. But if you don't have that consistently throughout your growing up years, that keeps you on that forward trajectory, you're not going to have as successful a time doesn't mean you won't be successful, but you will have a more of a struggle because you don't have that support connection around you. People do better when they have relational connections around them that are modeling to them that kind of thing. Right. Yep. But that whole, that whole acceptance, like, for example, I was a high school athlete and once I reached college level, it was like they're playing a different sport and you just have to come to that acceptance. I'm, I'm not at that level. Right. You know, and it sometimes it's tough because you're a good player going up through the ranks and then you get to you just hit your wall. A well, lot, that's and that's the vast majority of players hit their wall. Well, and that's the thing about um, like right now I have a whole bunch of kids that I'm sending off to college as this is the time of year that my my kids I've had for five or six or seven years in my practice are getting ready to go to college and they're athletes and they're going to D1 or D2 schools. And and some have been declined, obviously, or mm -hmm. rejected. And it's crushing them because yeah. they're watching their soccer or their football or their whatever career that they think is going to happen. And, you know, I'm always and I always set them up at the beginning of the year saying, like, you may have to look at club. You may have to look at, you know, travel, travel, blah, 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 whatever the team is in the town that you're going to go to college in because you might not make the team. And you can see the crushing because Death, there's it's so, it's so competitive, yeah. um, especially at D1 and D2. And then when you have a D1 athlete at high school level and they don't get accepted into the program and then I say, well, let's look at D2 and D3. You can see this like look of like, not me, I'm going to quit. I'm like, why would you? You love it. You still play, but. So it's, it's a lot of um, emotional 
conflict, cognitive dissonance. Like it's challenging who the person is. Well, that's death of self. Right. That's, yeah. Right. It was the death of self. Right. And you're and going to it's run a into... mourning process that people yeah. go through because they perceive that it's over. They instead of saying, "Oh, I'm going to take this and move it around," that's and that's how I always try to get everyone to look at it when they no matter what their issue is, whether it's sports or work or, you know, people getting fired or, you know, or, or getting like go of jobs or divorces, like you have to keep regenerating yourself. Mm -hmm. And the problem is that people get into mental health issues when they don't regenerate, they kind of close in on themselves and disconnect. And well, say, the main lesson is that yourself isn't wrapped up in whatever these externals are, right? What, what you are as a soccer player or, but our know. culture, right. But our culture is very much about those externals making us who we are and people buy into that. I know, but which is why it's, it's important so important to, to have yeah. an internal locus of control. Um, you know, and that's a, so that there's the external locus of control, what you're talking about. And then there's internal locus of control and people do better relationally, academically, um, financially, spiritually, like you take the, all of those things, all the things they just do better when they have the internal focus yeah. of control. And what does it really mean? It means, one takes accountability and responsibility for themselves. They create their destiny, sort of, so to speak. You know, it's like their their path is created. They don't wait for it to happen to them. Um, I mean, I don't. I, I mean, my higher end athletes that are like um, professionals or they're you know elite and Olympic level, they have a stronger sense of that internal sense of control. My recreational kids and stuff that I see coming up through. I help try to foster that because you see them learning um, and you're going to, the most successful athletes, 99.9% of the time have the phenomenal internal locus of control. They just do because yeah. it's self-motivation, self-dedication. They're not the kid that sits home or the, or the adult that sits home and says, I can't go to the gym um, or I can't work out at home. I should say, I can't work out at home because I'm alone. I have to be with someone yeah. and so they never do it, but they don't think, well, I'll call someone to go with me or whatever. Like they have to have someone always doing it with them. Mm. Nothing wrong with that, but you actually have to activate it or you have to go to a gym that you join with a class or you have to do something like that instead of just making the excuse of like, oh, well, I can't because, you know, no, the external is not there to motivate me. Often well, this comes generate that. Often this comes at the perfect time though, because middle school and high school are the prime time of that particular malady where everything your self-worth is so external as a right. middle schooler and as a high schooler well, hopefully as you mature and you get to its college it's one of the things college is supposed to help develop well and it's interesting when it comes to sports because this has been a this has been a long time statistic since i've been doing this field um that the the average age of of tapping out really having a change emotionally and, and psychologically in kids is when they've come up through and they played like, you know, let's just take soccer. They played soccer and now they're 12, 13, 14, between 12 and 14 are the make it or break it years of when they're going to either continue on and really go and build that, that internal skill or more often than not, unfortunately, that age range is when they kind of crumble and fall apart and then go the opposite direction and are much more driven by the externals because it's the separation and individuation time for kids. It's they're trying to figure out who they are and all these things. So they drop the sport or they drop the activity that they were in that was mm -hmm. giving them that internal sense of self. Yep. And then they go away from it. And that's when you see a lot of kids decline in terms of their grades, 
um, like ninth grade year, eighth, eighth, ninth grade year, you see a lot of decline um, because their internal sense isn't strong enough. So their external is driven by peer pressure, you know, yeah. peers. <laughs> well, there's, there's a whole equation there because once you get to the high school level, there's the amount of effort you have to put into continuing a sport. Right. And how much how much um, pay, payoff are you getting for participating in that sport? Right. So how much social payoff? Right. You know, is it helping? Is it helping your self image? Right. The sport, as opposed to the five days a week you have to do it. Right. right? Exactly. Yeah. And and I think that in the team sports, I mean, you have the the externals around that are really good because your team is your external, but you're all going in the same direction, which is why teams work. Groups work really well yeah. when they're cohesive and they're going in the same direction. Um, when you're having an individual sport, like I work a lot of individuals, it's a little bit harder because you really have to really internally draw on self. It's harder, but in your case, like you and Michelle, shared right. experience, right? Right. The The bond of shared experience. Yes. Yeah. And it's interesting, though, because, it, and for the listeners, if you don't know who you're talking about, Michelle often has come on and, and done the show. Um, we were gymnasts together. We didn't know, we didn't know that we shared the experience in the way that we know now. Yeah. As adults, we, when we refound each other, we are, we, it was very validating. And, it, you know, the sisterhood that we sort of knew that was there, but we didn't realize was there. And it was because oh, you internalized a lot of what was going on right. at the time. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So and so, you Must know, have been quite the experience the, reconnecting and, and and going back through all that. And and that was one of the one of the highlights of, of you know, talk about um, validation and all those things is when you don't have someone to validate an experience that is good, bad or indifferent. And it's just you, you sit with your own stuff. But when I, when we reconnected, super important um, for whatever reason that happened that we did reconnect and whatever, but she was made a statement to me like right away in the first time that we talked, she said, I was witness to your experience. And that was so like, it gives me goosebumps now because no one had ever said that to me. Mm -hmm. And so for me to tell a total story of what my life journey was from when I was little all the way up until I was, you know, older. Um, and in the, in that whole thing, um, no one had ever shared with me, but minus my grandmother who is present for all of it. Was um, she in recovery at that point? When she told me that? Yeah. Yes. So she understood the power of this. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. So Michelle, um, yeah. Cause it's only been in the past couple of years that she's, that we've been reconnected and she told me that. So, um, so it was amazing feeling. And even when I just said it just then, I can re-experience mm -hmm. the fact that I had someone. And then she has also gone on to say that everyone around me that was in the gym with me that she knows or still connected has the same thought about they were witness to my experience. And it's the witness to my experience that I won't go into here, but it was yeah. it was not all puppy dogs, roses and rainbows, yeah. <laughs> as you as you know. Yeah. So but that was really validating and she often compliments and I she came from the same cut of cloth of coaches and people around her um and the strength that she has i mean she's we're very similar and that it comes from we got a strong sense of internal self-worth because if we didn't have it we would have been annihilated emotionally also comes from safety because as she was saying that what she's saying is and i like you anyway yes right so that yeah. that feeling of safety and you can drop those guards about all the things you probably you don't share the darker sides of your gymnastic experience no. with everyone i would assume 
Right. No, I do not. You only do it in a safe space. That's right. right. Yeah. And, and when she says that, I, it's, it's an, it's a known without having to say she, I already know what she knows. And so, and she's, she's been, uh, she's said things on our show, right. That she comes out with and says things, but I, things that I would be like, I'm not saying that. (laughs) Remember I told you I write the book when people die. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Well, yeah. So, but she's, you know, she's, she doesn't have the um, same worries (laughs) that I do. But that's one of the important parts of a team and team sports right. is that regard if you screw up in practice, regardless of what's going on, these guys get your back. Right. And I'll go a little further. A hockey team is uniquely that. Yes. I, I mean, I've played a lot of team sports. A hockey team is a whole different clubhouse dynamic. It's just like everyone, you just got your back. Everyone's got you. Everyone's yeah. got your back. And hockey's like that. And, and that's, and I think when I had Frank Simonetti on member and Dave Jensen, we were talking about how hockey has that unique, it does have a unique quality yeah. to it with the athletes I work with. And when I like the Bruins that I'm talking about that, the camaraderie that is there because the, even the alumni, I'm, you know, I do a lot of um, well, attendance ex- to their charity events yeah. and things like that. They're very, yeah. very well connected in their yeah. family. Like all their families are family together and they're very welcoming to people coming into that when you know there's a shared experience um you know the simonetti family the jensen they are all very connected um the crowders you know ray borg's family like everybody is so they don't just end the sport and retire and then not see like everyone sticks together you don't see that as much like in football i don't have that experience with a lot of the athletes that i have at the high level they know each other and they you know but they're not as a big group and they want to come together in the same way um even basketball as well well it's it's the right size the roster size is right yeah and other than goaltenders most hockey players are basically doing the same job so right. there's, there's a lot of shared experience there as well it's not offense and defense like on a football team and 53 guys in a room i mean you, you don't get close with 53 guys right you can get close with 18 guys but you can't get close with 53 guys Exactly. Well, and John, John just put up team guys and I'm assuming he's, well, I'm going to assume he's also talking about SEAL team. So, cause he's coming from the military um, yeah. side, but that's the same. Like, so I work with Navy SEALs, right? So, and well, well they parlay that, right? And, the, yes. The SEALs and, work right. on that. Yeah. And the, like the Bruins work with um, the Warrior for Life Fund who works with, they're all the Navy SEALs that are either still active duty or um, retired or yeah. in the, in between. And they do skating program for the families and the, and the Navy SEALs. And I think the Navy we talked SEALs about share it. With, that together, uh, that same yeah. kind of internal um, fortitude. I think we talked about it with Frank and I hesitate to do a comparison between a SEAL team and a hockey team, but in a lot of ways, it's, it's got a lot of the same dynamics. You're not going to war. Again, I don't want to make those, I don't want to balance those. Right. In but in terms of like, degree, the, but... I think, in, you, I think it's fair to say that there are very specific athletes and very specific military personnel that can be superimposed on each other in terms of what type of mental um, toughness you have to have to be that yeah, or to get to that level or to be like that. Or the commitment to each other. I can't read that one. It says it's a brotherhood. John says it's a brotherhood. Oh, yes, it's a brotherhood. Well, there's Yeah, that commitment to each other, uh, again, on a hockey team is just a little bit, you know, you know, I got your back. You know, right. you, you know, everyone's got your back. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And and I think that, the, I mean, it's certainly there in a lot of other team sports too, but not quite the same. Not quite, not the, quite same. the same. Yeah. And so, yes, it's a brotherhood, but there are sisterhoods out there too. Just saying, <laughs> you know, I have to put that there. 
Everybody's what? got your six. Everybody's got your six. Oh, he's oh wow, he's like on a roll today. Yeah. Apparently, he's gonna just chime on in. Hey, as a side note, you better have my treadmill set up there, buddy. <laughs> did it, oh, did it arrive? I know you it arrived about. as I was driving here, oh, and okay. he was supposed to be making sure that they didn't break my wall. They set it up. I just got a beautiful new training treadmill. I'm taking aside from this now for a second because yeah. it's important to me. Um, but it's that's what he's supposed to be doing. So it better be going up and fixed and ready because uh, you know I have 11 weeks to go to the Boston Marathon. And I'm tired of running outside in the cold and the snow. Yeah. And as you pointed out, we've only had three days of snow. No, it snows and rains. I don't like that. I'll do <laughs> no, it. On the, if it snows and rains on the marathon, that's fine. Because I've done that. Yeah. But it's not daily and I don't want to do that. Hi, Kristen. Kristen, by the way, is <clears throat> she shares my birthday. Oh, happy she birthday, is her birth. Her birthday was Wednesday. Okay. And I will remind her now she's older than me. By two days. Okay. We have the exact same year of birth date. We're both 27. Yeah. And she actually <laughs> is part of the reason why I have this brand new treadmill because last year she contributed a large sum of money to my birthday, my 27th birthday last year to buy this treadmill that I've been waiting to buy for a year because <laughs> I couldn't choose which one I wanted. So, um, yeah, my cousin and I have the same dynamic. He's a couple months younger than me, and he reminds me of it every year on my birthday. I'm younger than you now. <laughs> um, Kristen, I remind you constantly that you are older than me, right? She's, I can't read what she it's said. A, we're the same age for 363 days. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but you're still older than me. <laughs> All right. So let, let me bring around the origin of this the question back to day-to-day -day use, because a lot of us are sponges and absorb too much. It's it's mental hygiene, right? And yes. Just keeping a lot, just keeping the stuff off your windshield. Well, that was okay. So because we're on that topic and that's actually the topic I was going to talk about today. So let me just really? tie it in. Oh, I was going to talk about the fact that, you know, cause it's birthday, right. And people often go into like, how do I. <laughs> John says it's set up, relax, Boston marathon woman <laughs> <laughs> with some capital letters in there. <laughs> I can see, I can actually see the Boston marathon yeah. in capital letters. Um, thanks John. Um, uh -huh. <laughs> but the whole thought of like birthday, right. When birthdays come up, a lot of people struggle. Yeah. With oh, I'm getting another year older. New Year's. It's, you know, it's, it's the same thing. And you yeah. like you set new goals. And all, right. I don't do any of that. I age is a number. And so for me, it's, I didn't feel any different today than I did yesterday, except for what I told you when I came in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's it's important that when you have the when you're doing gratitude and to self, there's a compassion, self-compassion and to others and you're uh giving back not just taking and you're doing things that are going to release mental hygiene serotonin dopamine oxytocin those things are constantly keeping your body and your mind and your ability to be young um and flexible and kind of keep going in that forward trajectory up upwards um and so I think that when people start struggling with, oh, the birthday and I'm getting older and this is, you know, we've talked about that before. I think if you really are thinking about, you know, what are you grateful for? What is something good that you can look on today about what was the last year like? You know, yeah, there's some good times, bad times, whatever. But now, you know, what are you going to do today? Are you going to go out and like make someone happy? Are you going to make yourself happy when you do something nice for someone? The oxytocin, the chemical in the body 
and then the, the, the dopamine, the feel-good neurotransmitter, that can last up to a week or two beyond just the moment of doing the thing. Yeah. Because it continues to go because you you think about it, you think about the person's response, you think about how it made you feel. So those kinds of things are really where I say to people, like when you start saying, oh, I'm so old or I'm getting older and I can't do that. And like, why do you say that? What What is holding you back? Do things that are going to make you flourish, make you have good mental hygiene, make you feel like you have internal fortitude so you can strengthen and have more mental toughness and, and go forward. But because I've become so stingy about my mental energy, I see this in a lot of people. Too many people seem to be attached to uh, conflict and confronting everything. And, you know, something happens at work and at 10 o'clock at night, they're still talking, talking about it. It's like the ability to just, okay, that's over, drop it, move on to the next thing. It's like some people tend to like the negative aspects of those emotions or tend to be attached to them. Well, I was going to say, I don't, so it's, it's a, so le it's learned optimism versus learned pessimism, right? So um, when people are attached, that's what we'll say, they're attached to the negativity or the drama or things like that. It's because it's become habit. It's because there's a secondary gain. And so in yeah. life, we have primary gain and secondary gain and we have tertiary gain, right? So, but most of the time when there's a negative thing going on, and people keep going towards the drama of something negative. They're getting attention. It's like little kids, right? Little kids will keep doing a bad behavior because when they do a good behavior, they don't get attention. Yeah. But when they do the bad behavior, they'll get attention. So they're getting a secondary gain um, because they don't get the primary gain by being a good kid or good behavior, right? So that's the same thing as anybody that's doing something over and over again that keeps going towards the drama, keeps repeating the same cycle, repeating whatever that is they will get attached to that because the brain neurologically stays connected to that pattern. Yeah. So the only way to break that, and it's not, people always say medication. Medication doesn't touch any of that. No. The only way to break that is you have to have a mindfulness, which means you have to have an awareness that you do do that, that it is happening to be able to mentally essentially step into yourself or lean into yourself instead of staying external and go, wait a second. I have to look at why does this keep happening? Why am I, you know, there's a common denominator usually in these things. I was just, I actually was talking to a client this morning, even though I said I wasn't working. I was talking to a client this morning and my instructions to them were, when I was getting off the phone, I said, do not engage. You have a propensity to keep engaging in the drama because you're used to it. And they agreed. And I think I have said that to them ad nauseum mm -hmm. because they have to be reminded because their pattern is so attached to it's, you know, fly, you know, moth to flame, moth to flame, moth to flame. That can be familiar, right? That yeah. can be a result of upbringing. Exactly. Yeah. And so, um, so in order to change that habit, you have to create a new habit. And in order to do that, you have to be aware that you're doing the habit in the first place. And that's where the people, people get stuck is that they don't realize it. They know that they're in a pattern of something and they think they can't, it's, I can't get out of it. And it's not that you can't get out of it. It's you don't know how. Yeah. And most people don't know how. They, that's what I get a lot. How? Yeah. And so, and we break, I break it down. I mean, literally step by step by step. And we repeat over and over again, because by the time I see someone say in their forties or fifties, right, they've been doing this forever. So, you know, they, I always get an eye roll most of the time from everybody. When I say, you know, it took you 45 years to walk into the woods <laughs> and you can see the fear coming up like, Oh yeah. my God, is it going to take me 45 years to get out? I'm yeah. like, no, but 
if you do the work and you and you're mindful and you start inserting these generating alternative thoughts and and flipping your mind around around these things and yeah. you stay away from these toxic relationships or toxic interactions or things like that or you um don't set boundaries or you don't stand up for yourself or whatever it is um you're going to struggle so um but it's about really coming down to the thing of you have to be aware first i always laugh at um representations in the movies and on tv of of counseling and and psychology and how it's always epiphany based and someone has a big turning point yes. right in the middle but that aspect to your point it doesn't take 45 years to walk out of the woods because it is an epiphany to a point right it, you do get quick result you can get quick results and build on it really quickly right once you understand the value of it well and you can and you can get quick results even and this is what frustrates a lot of people and, and this is a this is a socialized and habituated problem in in inherent in the other problem is that people um, are so instantly gratified and don't want to put the work time effort in. So if I say you need to practice this every day for the next month and they only practice it two or three times and come back and say it's not working, I already know that's not true because yeah. I know it works because I use it. I have successful, lots of successful yeah. people who do it, but I know when it's not going to work because I can tell. And it's because the person doesn't want to do the effort because it takes more effort to do the that hard thing. And that you've heard me say this before. Everything's hard. <laughs> and there's two yeah. paths. The path that's hard that goes to the good thing as the outcome and then the path that hard, that's hard that you're already on that's already ending poorly, right? So if you're going to work hard, why not work hard going towards the thing that ends well, instead of putting so much effort into the thing that already comes naturally to you, but still ends poorly that you're in pain from. But if you be this particular aspect of it, if you do put the work in and you get past the point where people think you're crazy, your responses get so much better. You know, or they, they get really scared because you're. Do you have a specific be... example here? I have a thousand <laughs> specific examples. Bye, Jim. <laughs> No, it's not Jim. Oh, who was it? No, that's Jim. But oh. I, the specific example oh. was Jim. <laughs> well, I saw Jim walk out. I'm sorry. He's like in yeah. and out. No, again, you become aware of this. Once you've worked through this, you become really aware of this in people. And it's like 75% of the people you meet are just craving conflict and in conflict with the world in general. They confront everything in life. And it's like at a certain point, you say, you don't have to confront everything in life. Just well, right. let it go. So that's a really good point because it goes to people's happiness and joy, right? People who are, like you say, 75%. Because they're absolving, they're, not, they're absolving responsibility in that at least I'm better than that person. I Well, I think that, that yes, that's an, there. That but person's an idiot. Okay. Yeah. Stop talking. For I can, sorry. <laughs> Stop talking. Yeah. Now you've made me lose my two points. Don't speak yet. <laughs> lose hands go up. Um <laughs> Oh, God, you're killing me here. So I think, first of all, it's a defense mechanism coping strategy that gets taught really young to by the person to themselves of, of why they're in defense mode and combative and always, you know, it's, it's the person that always has something to say, has to get the last word in, needs to be contrary. Because um, it, it, what it does is it actually revs up your central nervous system and puts you in fight or flight. And although it's not healthy, it's giving you a rush. It's giving you, you know, it's addiction. You're addicted to the cycle of this relationship style, mm -hmm. but we'll use that. Right. Yep. And to know something different is scary because to change that 
we don't know what the primary gain would be. We know what the secondary gain is. We know that we get attention for being combative. We know that people will engage us. We know that people will have, and it's hard because when you have, you know, combativeness, I'm, I'm, I'm running like a hundred different people in my head right now yep, that I know, exactly, right? Yep. But when you have that defense mode, a lot of times people don't know that they're in defense mode. It's just so natural to them. And to point that out to them just puts them into defense mode. So, you, exactly. you know, it's a very vicious cycle. So that's, it's about, you know, you have to get to a point, like you see this in kids a lot or, or teenagers, they, it takes them a lot longer to get through that because they, and sometimes they don't. And then they get like that personality disordered characterological issue that they just never break out of. And, you know, I get parents who will say, oh, you know, can we medicate it? No, mm -hmm. you cannot medicate personality that's defensive and angry in that way. You know, yes, you can for like mood dysregulation, but you, you, you can't really do that. That's a personality quality the person picked up to be defensive that everything is they feel insecure enough about themselves. They always right. have to be combative and look for drama and look for tension and look for stress and look for something and create it around them because that's the place where they feel comfortable in, in the chaos. Everything um, is a battle. It's, it's what? Everything is a battle. Everything's a battle. Yeah. And, and, and then you don't have the opportunity to find joy. You don't have an opportunity to find happiness because your body's always in the state of anxiety. Your body's always saying, I'm anxious. You say to someone, what are you anxious over? And it's usually, I don't know, or everything. Yeah. All right. And I think that everything is closer to the real answer because I don't know is never right. I right. would say, no, 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 you know, let's go through it. Right. But it's, it's everything because now the umbrella of the, of the negativity um, and the negative thought process and the negative actions and the lack of action has now taken over. So it's, it's just front and center. So that's all the person knows. So they go to bed like that. They wake up like that. They, you know, people will be like in the middle of the day, I just got really anxious and I threw up. Oh, okay. Why? I don't know. Yeah. Yes, you do. Let's look at the line of accumulated stuff that you've been talking about for the past 20 years or 15 years or whatever, that is really the problem. But people don't stop and look at that. They think stress and trauma and all those things have to be like this big thing right here in this moment. And they have to be thinking of it actively. Most of the time when people have anxiety, hi, Abby, thank you. Um, uh, most of the time when people have anxiety and stress and those kinds of things, they don't look at what's going on other than, well, nothing happened right here. I'm just anxious. No, it's, it's stuff that happens around you that's just sitting, like something coming in a month, something that happened two months ago, uh, anticipatory anxiety, things that are maybe in the back of your head, but not front and center. Like I was just driving along. People, That's where it happens a lot. Yeah. People are like, I was driving along and then I had a panic attack. Okay. What were you thinking about? I don't know. But that's baby step one of the right. response, isn't it? Because yes. asking why and right. putting it into words or thoughts, it doesn't have to be spoken word, but asking the why and putting it into words in your head or words right. verbally or words on a piece of paper is processing it. Yes. You can't just stop at everything or you can't just stop at everything because that's not helping you. Right? No, but if, and, and Abby, <laughs> Thank you, Abby. Um, thank you for pointing that out. Um, but processing processing those feelings to see exactly what it is you're fighting is the first that it's it's awareness it's the, and well, awareness leads step, you to you, dealing with. But it. so there, that's the so that's the actual first step. But there's actually a step before it. You have to get out of. There's the pre-contemplative step, which is the denial space. It's the space that most people sit in, and when they come to therapy we uncover 
the piece you're talking about to get there. Like the fact that they got in the door is really the first yeah. step, but then we really have to go back and say, okay, what is this to get to just contemplating the possibility that what you just said is true, that you are in conflict, that you're looking for it, you're in chaos, because it's very hard for people to say, yes, I am. Because they'd have to admit that, and that's painful. Yeah, That's really painful to admit that you look for the conflict that you, you know, it's easier to say, I, it's not me, it's you. Yeah. Or it's them or it's whoever did that. I'm to not me. arguing. Right. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, I, yes, I, I didn't raise my voice. I'm not arguing. I'm not being angry. I'm yeah, no. yeah. Right. So, so I think that if people are listening and they're looking for, why am I always getting myself involved in this crap? Well, you got to step back and say, what am I doing to contribute to it? What can I change then? You know, is that separating yourself from this, the experience, the person, the the thing, whatever it is more? Is it standing up for oneself more in a, in a healthier way that's assertive, not combative and aggressive? You know, this is where people get stuck in their passiv passivity or passive aggression, or they get stuck in their aggressiveness because they feel so defensive instead of just being assertive. Yep. And the difference, and that's an important difference, is being assertive by the way, helps your longevity and mortality rate, right? So talk about birthdays. When you're assertive, you're not violating anyone else's emotional rights. You're not hurting anyone. Now that's not to say a person might not get hurt feelings because yep. you're assertive. That's not, you can't control for other people's feelings. That's passivity, right? By not saying or, or tiptoeing around something. When you're in, I think I mentioned the study a few weeks ago, that beautiful study that was done on relationships that are stronger from, being together with people who are straightforward and blunt. Now, blunt doesn't mean mean. Like I grew up around some people in my life that would tell me things like horrific things and they'd say, but it's the truth. <laughs> and I'm like, just because <laughs> so it's, it's the truth okay. does not mean you should say it, yeah. right? So there's there's truth and then there's just being mean, right? So that's, there's a big difference. Yeah. Don't couch it just because you're, you know, don't couch it in niceness because you're not yelling and then say mean things, <laughs> right? So I think that being able to look at, um, that particular uh, way of, of thinking of things is, is important because it does present itself to giving you a mortality rate of, oh, I can assert myself. And then the pressure comes off of me. I'm not dumping cortisol. I'm not in fight or flight because I'm not, you know, and someone might say, well, that hurt my feelings. And you can say, I'm not wanting to hurt your feelings, but this is not okay, or I don't like that, or I'm not going to be able to be around you if you're doing that, or whatever it is. But people don't want to do that because we're socialized into being, yeah. you know. I'm going to do something I normally don't like to do by externalizing this. A lot of times this comes from a family situation where, again, people in the absence of positive response and positive feedback will, and positive energy will accept negative energy. And a lot of times your family dynamic is I have to be this way to get any attention whatsoever. Right. 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 Well, and, and that's a very common, I, I won't say it's a very common, it's a, it's a common mm -hmm. family dynamic of, you know, you have someone that will do that, that will, this but is the not only every, way. Not everybody you, 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 you can not everybody it. you encounter in your life is going to react the same way your family did. And you exactly. Have to recognize and that's, and that's, um, I think that's so important for people to teach. That's it, go, it always goes back to teach your kids that this is, 
you know, if you talk like this, or if you like this at home, this is how it's going to be in the world. And you're going to come up against someone that's not going to talk to you the way I talk to you or, or ignore what you're doing, or, yep. uh, you know, they're not going to be accepting, or they're not going to be as tolerant. Um, and I find that I, when I get a lot of teenagers in my office, you know, there's a lot of work on that with kids that, you know, the parents are like, oh my God, they, you know, this is what's going on. And this is, you know, and I come right back to, instead of trying to fix the kids specifically, fix the kid, I work with the parents. I'm like, you're giving, you're giving attention to the wrong thing. And you're not, you know, usually there's not been consequences, not the kids not held responsible, or it's been not followed through on. Um, and that's a, that's a, we talk about generation stuff, right? Like totally yeah. different than our generation coming up through like the responsibility and accountability and parents not having enough time. And the generation that's raising the generation now didn't have that. So it's yeah. trickling down. So it's even less than, you know, it's, so it's, but that's setting them up because yep. teenagers quite often are negative and aggressive and irresponsible. Right. <laughs> and the parents, because they don't want to be parents, they want to be friends. Right. Just approach it in a very, cuddling type of manner yes but when you get out in the real world people aren't going to respond to that the same way they're going to right. respond with similar aggression and you're going right. to find yourself in constant fight yes i well it's interesting because i have a couple of clients that i've had parents i should say that are clients that work with me and it's, it's a very interesting phenomenon that there's often a parent that will over identify with the child that's like this and then they think of their experiences the same. So they feel bad for them. Yep. So when they give them a consequence or when they talk to them, instead of doing a consequence, they're more like, why did you do that? Like it, and we're beyond that point, you know, like, you know, and, and, and the person's like, well, I know how I would feel. So I don't want him to feel that way. And I'm like, they're not you, yeah. you, your experience growing up is not the same as theirs and you're not their friend. Plus, if that dynamic is in place, consequences aren't being given. Exactly. Well, then, right. then usually the kid knows how to maneuver around yeah. that, right? Yeah. You what? I'm sorry. I have people next to me oh, now sorry. yelling. Um, and if the dynamic has got to that point in a teenager, consequences aren't being given because the teenager has the ability to rebel and just shout them down. Right. Or ignore them. And there's not enough assertiveness in the parent relationship to follow through on the consequences, right? right? Yes. And so I think that, and, and you can't, as we've said before, you can't start that in teenagehood. You have to start that. It, you know, you yeah. can't fix 16 year old problems unless you started at four and five. Yep. Because they become a problem that's very difficult to move. Mm -hmm. um, but we got a little off track there and it's busy here today. It's busy here. Um, but just in terms of coming back to just like, you know, gratitude, having good mental state, finding joy so that you're not in the negative space so that you can have forward moving trajectory. Mental hygiene. It went mental hygiene. Yeah. Mental hygiene, mm -hmm. not using a lot of mental energy on negative things, trying to be happy because when you and, and happy, happiness gets a weird connotation to it because people think that well, there's lots of things about happiness. They think happiness is high. Yeah. And it's not. And it's, it's <laughs> yeah. about, so I like to use joy instead. Like what's yeah. your joy or what's your passion? What's your sense of purpose? Cause that's, what's going to give you. And your sense of purpose does not have to be being an Olympic athlete. I say your sense of purpose can be just making someone smile today. And I always get to look like what? Yeah. <laughs> like, that's not, that's nothing like, well, yeah, but try it and you'll see how that makes someone feel. Um, 
But the thing is, is when you do those kinds of things, you're promoting your mental hygiene, you're promoting your mortality rate to be higher because you're happier, happier, you're because mm -hmm. you're dumping dopamine, you're dumping oxytocin, you're getting your serotonin going, all the things that are good mood, mood regulators and feel good things for pleasure without having to do anything else. So for all of you out there that always hear me say, go run or walk up the stairs or whatever, you actually can get some of this other stuff that I'm talking about for like just the feel good stuff by just being kind, compassionate, to self and others, doing nice things, taking time for yourself, taking time for others, not being in combat mode, yep. you know, and just really being present in yourself and, and the world around you. It's so simple too. Yep. Uh, it, it, just interaction, saying hi or interaction during the course of the day, because most, most people, and God knows most of my life, I've been this way, treat interaction as being hit with a stick. Right. Yeah. It's going to something bad's going to happen or I'm going to get negative or something like that. But, you know, like I'm on a walk and I'm walking by an Amazon guy and dogs barking. I go, how many dogs do you hear barking during the course of a day? And he laughs. He said hundreds. And it's just, it's just a little interaction. No one got hit with a stick. Right. Shared a laugh. Everyone just went. You know, right. Just and, that, and, and that little interaction, you add dopamine yeah. and oxytocin. You had chemicals that were like really good because you had a good interaction with somebody and it was funny and and it's just that kind of thing can actually have long lasting effects and you build those over time and then you have a joy base right no fight or flight you're out of fight or flight for yeah. a second yes which most of us aren't during right. the course of a day i know like when i came in today you always think <laughs> no <laughs> don't poor, start poor lou's always in defense mode i walk in and you're like like the third sentence out of your mouth is usually you in a bad mood. Because I have to ask because I can't tell sometimes with you. you. Well, today you didn't look forlorn. Well, that's because you were talking. If I'm in a bad mood, you'll be able to tell. Don't worry. Well, it's not that you were in a bad yeah. mood. It's that you had, we were talking seriously with Jim when I came in. And so, yeah. And so there was, and I wasn't involved, but then I figured out and then I was like, oh, are you in a, because you guys were talking about that yeah. stuff. Um, so I have to check. This is what I do for a living. I had no, to make I sure I did it. What would you like me to ask you? Are you, <laughs> are you enjoy, are you enjoy today? Are you enjoy, are you today? enjoy today? How about how you Bye, doing? Jim. <laughs> I do, you're on my show, by the way. I've, I've talked about you several times. Yep, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. <laughs> now everybody knows where I'm going. Yeah. Um, oh, there's a lot of places. I know. There. Um, but you're always in defense mode. But I'll just say I am always in no, that's true. You are. You are you are probably one of the only people I know that I know I know two people I could consistently say that isn't that are in defense mode. All of them. You're one of them. Yeah, but I'm aware another of it. one is a teenager. I'm aware <laughs> of it and I'm working on it. I know, but at least you at least you're aware of it. Well, that's where that description came from. Interactions with people like being hit with a stick. That's the way. That's the way I've I know, felt you're most of my for life. I hit you with a stick. Yeah, I well, never have hit you with a stick. No, I understand. But that's the way I've been most of my life. But I'm, I'm, I'm aware of it and I'm working on it and with it. And that's why I gave you a hug <laughs> instead of hitting you with a stick. That's good. Seriously. Like and it hugs. and it gave you oxytocin and dopamine. Yeah. For four seconds. <laughs> 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 oh my goodness okay well anyway so this was about birthdays and making <laughs> that's what it was supposed to be about oh, really <laughs> yeah <laughs> i didn't really end up being that there. way but um i'm sorry i took you for a while that's okay you clearly needed the therapy session today and i'm sure it helped a lot of people a therapy session um for everybody that joined today we are not going quite yet because you have to do something for me and i have to i'm gonna cough for a whole okay
so hello to everyone that joined that I can see. Hi, Cameron. I think that Cameron came in shortly ago. Um, just so everyone knows that's listening, um, I'm running the Boston Marathon, as you do know, for the ninth time in a row. Wow. And I'm trying to make 10 in a row. And then we'll see where we go from there. But I am running for, and I'm always proud to run for the New England Patriots Foundation. You got to keep running as long as Tom Brady's playing. I it has nothing to do with Tom Brady. Okay. Right. It has nothing to do with Tom Brady or Rob or Danny Amendola or any of them. No. Nothing. Nothing. It has everything to do with the fact that we have a great charity. Um, has nothing to do with actually the Patriots themselves. It has to do with the foundation that gives back to 26 New England charities a year that apply for the grants that we give away. So we pass grants out $10,000 to 26 charities and one $25,000 one every May-ish, June-ish. So all the money that all the runners on the team, there's 16 of us, raise directly goes back into that fund for those charities that are picked. The charities are awesome. They're veterans, they're, you know, animals, they're um, homelessness, uh, they're, um, I mean, you name it. I, God, there's so many. And there's they're different every year. So anyone can apply. You can go to the New England Patriots Foundation site and you can see to, if you want to nominate um, someone. But nonetheless, I'm raising money because I'm trying to raise $10,000. I'm doing a giveaway, which is if you, if you go to my link, which hopefully you'll post, which I know you will. If you go to my New England Patriots Foundation Give and Gain link and you donate $100, you get a chance for every $100 you put in to win $1,500 cash, or you can choose um, $1,500 worth of or two round trip tickets to anywhere you'd like to go up to not exceeding $1,500. So um, it's one or the other. Last year, um, Kelly Fox won my giveaway um, and she won $2,500 cash. She chose that over a Peloton. Uh, she already had a Peloton. So she actually was the oh. lucky winner last year. Um, and and she was lovely enough this morning. I'll give her a shout out. I don't know if she's listening to donate $100 again this year because I'm sure she's hoping she wins again. <laughs> um, when I sell all $100 um, out, I will do a live uh, feed of... Um, the draw of who wins. Um, and I'm also going to give away a couple other prizes um, in the interim uh, randomly for people that give um, $100. Also, when you give to me, I'm giving my pitch here. When you give to me in the foundation, the foundation actually also puts you in their giveaways. So last year, a couple of my people that donated $50 oh, nice. or more, they also got put into the draw on the other side of that. And people won sign memorabilia. Somebody won a jersey that was signed. Like, lots of cool stuff and tickets and other things. So I just wanted to let people know that I am um, happy to talk to anybody about it, but I would, I would love for y'all to just get me there because it makes training that much easier when I don't have to be scrambling to fundraise. And I love, love the effort, but it also makes, it's like a double job for training for a marathon when you're fundraising. So anyone out there that wants to give me $5 or a hundred, that would be awesome. Site is out in the comments. You so what? The site is in the comments. So. Oh, thank you. The site is in the comments yeah. and we'll put it up again somewhere on the website. Mm -hmm. All right. So you guys, thank you so much for listening. I'll be back on Wednesday next week, like normal, unless we have a massive snowstorm um, or I get stuck away. Yep. <laughs> um, but uh, everybody have a fantastic weekend. Enjoy, be safe, and I will see you next week. Bye.